0: Chills, they're multiplying, and by the end of this episode, we're going to be having the time of our lives, and it's all because of you, the listener. You voted, we listen, tonight, it's all about movies, for another episode, another week of Convince Me. Uh, it's our second HodgePodge episode. If you don't not familiar with the HodgePodge format, go back and listen to episode seven, I believe it was. Uh, we did uh, topics about food. Tonight, we're not doing food. We're doing movies. Uh, I'm Andy Rutherford, joined, as always, by Mr. Casey L. rod Mr. Brian Bennett. Gentlemen, you ready to get into to a little movie, a few mo- different movie debates tonight?
1: Yeah, we always give people what they want. That cannot be debated.
0: That's right. Bennett, anything to add?
2: for you guys <laughs> tonight. We've. We've done our research. We've studied hard. We're going to bring y'all our A game.
0: tonight. It's going to be on. And Elrod's going to go 0-4, more than likely. But, you know, that's No, I'm going 4-0 tonight. No, no,
1: no. Call my shot. Call oh. my shot right now.
0: 4-0. Oh, we oh. shall see, my friend. Um, But anyway, guys, uh, not really a lot to shield tonight. Uh, unfortunately we did not get nominated for the podcast awards, but we do thank you guys for your efforts to get us there. Um, you know, we've only had this thing off the ground for a couple months. So, uh, we're looking forward to next year. Uh, side note that I haven't even told these two gentlemen yet. Um, but I got randomly selected to vote, um, <laughs> for this year's yeah. podcast awards. So it is unfortunate we did not get nominated cause we would have gotten at least one vote. Um, <laughs> But anyway, uh, but we do appreciate your guys' effort. We appreciate uh, you voting uh, to pick our topic for this week. This is something we're going to do uh, a lot more often, not every week, but every few weeks or so, we will uh, turn the decision-making process over to you guys. In order to vote, uh, when we do those polls, be sure you're following us on Twitter, at Convince Me Show, that's where uh, we will the polls will be. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram at Convince Me Show. Uh, And, of course, if you're watching this on Facebook right here, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, facebook.com slash convince me show. Um, And, and guys and gals, if you are watching on Facebook, tonight's the night. Uh, You will not get the whole show here tonight. Uh, You're only going to get a little taste. If you want to hear the whole show, you're going to have to listen to the podcast uh, that drops – What will be tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning, it'll also drop on YouTube at some point on Wednesday. If you just really love looking at us, uh, we will be on YouTube as well. Um, YouTube, you can find us at tinyurl.com slash show. And I think that's all we've got to shield this week, gentlemen. So uh, I believe we shall get down to it. Um, Business. Down to business in our first Uh, debate tonight you know it's it's august summer's winding down schools are going back and in typical years um and hopefully this year um it's getting around that time when when the end of the school week the end of the week if you grow up in a town like we did us three everybody's gathering at the high school on a friday night It's high school football season, or it's about to be, or it should be about to be, whichever you want to look at it. And there have been a good handful of pretty good movies that have covered uh, this particular topic. Uh, So Bennett Nelrod will be facing off in our first matchup tonight, and we're going to talk about the best high school football movie. Uh, And first, we will kick off with you, Mr. Elrod. What is the best high school football movie? The best
1: high school football movie of all time, it's not even close, guys. It's Remember the Titans. Not even close. And if I had a word to describe this movie, iconic. Even a newer movie. It's an iconic movie in American cinema. I should win for one reason, Denzel, Denzel. Now, Mr. Bennett is going to argue for another movie in a minute. You might've heard about it. You might've watched it. Friday Night Lights might be a better show than movie. It's definitely a better book than movie, but the movies at the core could not be any different. And here's why I say that. You've got iconic characters Iconic individuals in Remember the Titans. You got Herman Boone. You got Coach Yost. You've got Gary Bertier, Julius Campbell. You don't really have that with Friday Night Lights. And another thing that you've got with Remember the Titans, you've got Disney veering off, and and for the first time they've ever done this, they went and really explored racial tensions. They had never done that before this movie. And they did a really good job. it showed how football can be a unified force in race relations and in any situation. Friday Night Lights goes the other way and shows how football can be a divider in the community. I'm all about the positivity. I'm all about the optimism. Friday Night Lights is a very pessimistic movie. And some people might, may argue it's a truer form uh, as far as a movie because... Life isn't always sunshine and rainbows. Well, it wasn't in Remember the Titans until the very end. You learn how football can be a unifying force in this movie. And it doesn't have to divide you like it does in Friday Night Lights. And here's another reason I should win this argument, right? Uh, Remember the Titans has one of the best soundtracks of all time as far as a movie soundtrack. You've got Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Long, Cold Woman in a Black Dress, Up Around the Bend. You've got Buck Owens. Might be the best song. Act Naturally. right, point. Here's another reason I should win, right? Let's look at the football aspect of 22 movies. T.C. Williams High School, 1971's team, had two All-American linebackers in Campbell and Bertier. If you put them on the football field with Odessa Perriman's 87 team, I think it's what it's based on. I'm sorry, but T.C. Williams is going to wipe the floor. They run the beer, but if if they're running a modern game, they're going to be running a spread offense with the reverend They're going to be running it with uh, Sunshine, and they're going to run all over Odessa apparently. And even on defense, they're going to stifle. They're going to blitz all night. They're going to blitz uh, Wichel, and it's going to be a – bloodbath on the football field. So, you've got a better team. You've got a better story. You've got better actors. You've got Disney on the background. I love Friday Night Lights, but it does not hold a candle to Remember the Titans. Not at all. They're going to blitz all night, and that's the reason, Rut, that Remember the Titans is better than Friday Night Lights.
2: Mm.
0: Mr. Bennett, you retort.
2: Well, Rhett, like you alluded to earlier, we all three grew up in an extremely small town. Not a lot of places to go. Not a lot of things to do. On Sundays, went to church. Throughout the week, you went to school. And then on Friday night, at least during the late summer, early fall, you went to high school football games. And we've seen firsthand – the town practically be shut down for games. You've got your rival games, homecoming week, and especially the playoffs. I always said if you wanted to commit a crime in our hometown, do it during playoffs, because everybody's there. Every cop is there. Like, the whole, the whole town is just a ghost town. And um, growing up, you know, especially during that time, like in the late fall or late summer, early fall, football was everything, which is very, very similar to Friday Night Lights, released in October eighth, two thousand four. This, my friend, is the ultimate high school football movie. Now, Elrod said it doesn't really have much of a cast, and he's right. There's a few. There's a few guys here. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of them. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton. I think he may have dabbled in some movies before. Ed Santa. Man by the name of Tim McGraw. <laughs> I think he tried his hand at a country music career, did okay. Did a little bit of acting, done okay. Lucas Black. Now, that may might not ring a bell, but you know the little kid in Sling Blade? Well, he's grown up, and he's with Billy Bob again. And then you've got Connie Britton, which you know the name. She's most most notably for the the TV series Nashville. So not a bad cast for a bunch of people who never heard of. Now, the movie follows, like Elrod said, high school team in Odessa, Texas. It's based off of the 88 season, I believe, and the book was from 1990. And this is actually somewhat loosely based off of true events. That's what I really like about this movie. I don't really want to spoil the movie in case somebody hasn't seen it. If you haven't, shame when you go see it. But basically, the team must overcome obstacles both on and off the field in their quest for a state championship run. Now, contrary to Elrod, what I like about the movie is that it's very – brutally honest. It's not your typical feel-good story where nobody gets their feelings hurt and everything goes the right way and everybody has a happy ending. It shows the very real side of the pressure and the expectations that are just thrown at these boys, these kids, really, just to be great. And it shows how football is just a way of life in some towns. It's made evident by this line in the movie before a really big game. Quote goes, gentlemen, the hopes and dreams of an entire town are riding on your shoulders. You may never matter again in your whole life as much as you do right now. And that's what the head coach said to the kids before they went out and played. Can you imagine being 15, 16, 17 years old and being told you're not going to matter anymore in your life than you do right now? just goes to show just how gritty and raw this movie was. The movie made 62 million at the box office, which it's it's not bad, it's very respectful. I personally like this film and apparently the critics do too. 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, 85% from the audience. Roger Ebert gives it three and a half stars. It won an ESPY award for best sports movie. Entertainment Weekly ranked it number 37 best high school movie. That includes everything, not just sports. The American Film Institute, the AFI's top 10 films of the year, it placed in the top 10 for 2004. I'm going to leave you with a little quote. Coach Gaines, a head coach, played by Bill Bob Thornton, said, We are in the business of winning. So, Rut, the pressure is on. Let's not let Coach Gaines and the whole people listening and watching this podcast down.
1: Well, they let the town down because they lost. Spoiler alert.
2: They did. <laughs>
1: Carter High School, baby. Ran him over at the end. Ran him over. I'll say this one one thing, right? And remember the Titans. The one thing I learned from that movie that I didn't learn in school was it taught me exactly how far a mile was because he told PD, you take that ball, you run 5,280 feet. I remember that from that movie.
2: The argument
1: is
0: it's educational. It's educational. Well if we're being brutally honest here you're both wrong because correct answer is Varsity Blues but since I wasn't given that as an option um, you know this one's tough I've seen both movies multiple times I'm a big fan of both movies Um, Here's what it comes down to for me Friday Night Lights is a movie that, I don't know, I've never watched a sports movie before where the quote unquote good guys don't win. And I remember when this came out, I knew nothing about it. I hadn't read the book, didn't know about that season. And I remember being absolutely just crushed at the end of that movie. A similar thing happened shortly after that, Coach Carter came out, which is a completely different movie, but the basketball movie with Samuel L. Jackson, and they lost at the end too. At that point, I thought, I ain't watching no more dadgum sports movies because this is just depressing. But Friday Night Lights, I felt that. Um, Tim McGraw being a drunk douchebag dad was um, – Weird, was. it was. It was strange. But he had a face turn at the end of the movie, so that was nice. Um, I don't want to do this. But, um, of course, Elrod, you said – um remember the titans iconic and you're absolutely right it was an iconic movie um denzel is classic denzel in that movie um here's what i'm going to say and this is going to be a controversial decision to both of you gentlemen and to our listeners and i want to apologize because i'm going against some things here. Number one, which of these is my personal favorite movie? Friday Night Lights, between the two. Who presented the better argument between the two of you? Both of you did a pretty good job. Bennett hit me with a little more convincing of an argument. If we're going purely off the argument, Bennett wins. If we're going off my personal preference, Bennett wins. But we're going off best movie And by slight edge, I do have to give it to remember the Titans. I don't like these hodgepodge episodes. I always give you a win in these stupid (laughs) hodgepodge episodes. (laughs) I love them. I say every episode. Then it had a slightly better argument, but you didn't completely flub it. Hey, he didn't didn't talk about the
1: soundtrack. I did. I win. The soundtrack wins. The soundtrack wins. There we go. It's
0: not about the best soundtrack. It is. No, it's not.
1: You didn't get the memo? (laughs) Well,
0: if it's about best soundtrack, I'm going to dominate the next question. But, ladies and gentlemen, this this is the new thing we're going to do. If you're watching us on Facebook, we're about to kill this feed. Uh, If you're listening to us on the podcast, then you're about to hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, there's probably about to be a really awkward pause and then it's going to pick back up. So pay no attention. But uh, to those of us, to those of you watching us on Facebook, make sure uh, to check out the podcast tomorrow uh, to hear the other five arguments we've got coming. Uh, The next topic's a big showdown uh, with myself and Mr. Bennett and lots more. Guys, go check out the podcast. Check out the show. Thanks for your support. Um... To the people listening on the podcast, we will be right back. To those watching on Facebook, we will see you again next week. But make sure you go check out the podcast tomorrow. And uh, we will be right back. Peace. And we are back. Uh, Mr. Elrod, I believe uh, you're going to introduce our next topic. I am.
1: So our listeners out here may be shocked by this next statement I'm going to make.
0: They're probably not by this point.
1: Yeah, they're probably not. If if you've listened and watched us on Facebook, but I have never watched the movie Grease all the way through. And I have never watched the movie Dirty Dancing at all. So the next uh, topic in our hodgepodge tonight is what is the better movie? Both these movies are, uh, really geared toward songs and singing it's Grease versus dirty dancing and one of you has the difficult job of convincing me which is the better film so we're going to start tonight with bennett tell me about your client sir bennett
2: sure my client is dirty dancing
1: Hmm. one of
2: the all-time great romance slash dance movies i'm gonna set the stage for you It's the summer of 1963. There's an innocent 17-year-old girl named Baby, played by Jennifer Grey. She's going on vacation with her family at a Catskills resort. Well, one evening, she's drawn to the staff quarters because she hears some music playing. And when she gets there, she meets this guy named Johnny, who is played by the man himself, Mr. Patrick Swayze. That right there should be enough. To win, but I will keep going. (laughs) Now, Mr. Swayze or Johnny, he's a dance instructor who is as experienced as Baby is naive. And she soon becomes his pupil in both dance and love. Ooh la la. This movie was released August 21st, 1987 almost exactly 33 years ago. An incredible movie still is just as loved today by the audiences as it was 33 years ago. It's one of the highest grossing films of 1987. At the box office, it brought in $214.6 million on a $5 million budget. That's a 43-time profit. I went ahead and did the math for you. It was really hard for me to do, and it took me a long time. That's what I came up with. It remains extremely popular throughout the following years, as it was the number one rental of 1988, back when people rented movies. Shocker. 1988. So the very next year, it's the number one rental. And it's the first film to sell more than 9 million copies for home video. Home video, we're throwing it back to people who don't know what a home video is. The soundtrack alone generated two multi-platinum albums. And the song, I've had the time of my life. No, you've heard that one. It won a Golden Globe and an Academy Award for Best Original Song and a Grammy Award for Best Duet. Now, in 97, it was re-released for the 10-year anniversary And uh, Patrick Swayze Swayze got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And also in 97, but you got to think, this is 10 years after it's been released. It was still pumping out 40,000 units per month in sales. And as of 2005, it was selling a million DVDs per year. And by 2007, it had over 10 million sales total. A, a 2007 survey by sky movies listed dirty dancing as the number one women's most watched film mm. a 2008 article by the daily mail listed it number one on the list of the most romantic movie quotes ever and that movie quote is baby saying i'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way i feel when i'm with you Ah. Take that notebook. Now, the American Film Institute, they released some some polls every now and then, and they released three in particular I'm going to talk about. AFI's 100 Years, 100 Passions, Dirty Dancing, number three. Number three. That's pretty good. 100 Years, 100 Songs that – I've had the time of my life come in at number 86. And then 100 years, 100 quotes, it came in at number 98, which is pretty good when you consider that the quote, life is like a box of chocolates. (laughs) You never know what you're going to get. Probably, (laughs) to me personally, it's probably in the top two greatest movie quotes of all time. But they have it ranked at number 40, so – this kind of put in perspective there. And that famous quote that got them at number 98 on the top 100 was when Swayze says, no one puts baby in the corner. And when it comes to romantic slash dance movies, no one puts dirty dancing in the corner.
1: I like it. I like it. And you get an L-Rod point for the – L-Rod point. I know, giving Rod points out tonight. You get oh, an definitely. l point for the Forrest Gump reference. Okay. Mm, i Right, tell me why Grease is the one that you want. You see – I you see, did you
2: like that? I, I do know something about Grease. Wow. I do know something. That's very nice.
0: Honey. Um, nobody puts Dirty Dancing in the corner except for Grease. And Bennett wants to say, Oh, it's a great movie line. Greece has plenty of great movie lines. If you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter. That, that's a fantastic one. But if you are been living under a rock in the most sheltered life a human being could live, like Mr. Elrod, um, a quick rundown of Greece. Uh, Greece takes place at Rydell High. Uh, The movie came out in 1978, but it's set in the 50s. And and kind of the main storyline, there are some some side stories that go on uh, with uh, this movie, but there's uh, Danny Zuko, played by John Travolta. Uh, Really, Welcome Back, Cotter put John Travolta on the map, but Grease and Saturday Night Fever, which came out around the same time, really put him beyond TV and as a movie star, but Danny Zuko, he's the leader of the T-Birds. He's the cool guy in school, and he, school's coming back. They have just started back for their senior year. Well, he went on vacation over the summer and met a girl, had a fling. It was great, but then he came back home to be cool with his buddies and the T-Birds, for his senior year when there's a new girl that moves to Rydell High for her senior year. Lo and behold, it's Sandy. The girl he had spent the summer with comes to Rydell High. And of course, he had been this sweet romancing guy to her on summer vacation, but now he's cool in his leather jacket and he is too cool for school persona. Um, and, and it's really their story going through their senior year of, which of course ends with a big carnival, but, and it is a musical and it's the greatest musical of all time. If you ask me, and if you're on this show, Mr. O'Rodd, you just asked me. So that opinion is worth everything, but here's the thing. <laughs> Ranker, which is a site that ranks different things judged by people's votes. Grease is ranked in the top 100 movies of all time. Dirty Dancing is not on that list. Okay, cool. What do critics think? It's certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with 75% and it's got an audience score of 87. Up until 2012, Grease was the highest grossing live action musical in history. It was topped by Lady Miserables. But to me, that's kind of cheating because Les Miserables had, Les Mis had, a, had a following before it ever became a movie. You know, it had a built in fan base, whereas Grease was something brand new. It's a play now, but it became a play after the movie. So I think that's a little bit of crap. But the movie made $396 million on just a $6 million budget. So pretty good turnaround there. Um, It was nominated for five Golden Globes and an Oscar. Uh, It won three People's Choice Awards, including Favorite Overall Motion Picture of the Year 1978. The soundtrack finished number two, highest selling soundtrack for the year 1978. The other soundtrack, Or the other, the number one sales in 1978 was another soundtrack, Saturday Night Fever. So it was a good year for John Travolta uh, in 1978. Uh, Dirty Dancing is a great movie, but like Bennett, I don't remember the exact source he had, but he said it was like the number one most watched among women, which I believe. Have you seen Patrick Swayze dancing? He's a sexy, sexy man. He was much better in Roadhouse, if you ask my humble opinion. But Patrick Swayze, he's a sexy, sexy man uh, in Dirty Dancing. So I believe more women have watched that than anything else. But here's the thing with Grease. Grease came out in 1978. That's 42 years ago now. My six-year-old has watched and likes Grease. I... As a 32-year-old man, have watched a 32 real cool guy that doesn't watch silly musical movies. I absolutely love Grease, and I could sing you the whole soundtrack. Let's I, not. Let's not I, do that. I don't want to lose all four of our listeners, so I will not do <laughs> so. But I could do it. There are older people that were around in 1978 when Grease came out that absolutely love Grease. Um So if we're looking at what is the best movie, in my opinion, Grease is one of the best movies of all time. I really like Dirty Dancing. It's not cool for a a guy to say that in his 30s, but Grease is a better movie. It's more diverse uh, uh, of a crowd. And it's just an all time classic. Now, if we look at sequels, Grease 2 is one of the worst pieces of crap that's ever been produced and would lose to any movie that's ever been made. Twister? Twister's a thousand times better than Grease 2. <laughs> I could film myself farting, and it would be better than Grease 2 was. But Grease, Dirty is a great movie, but Grease definitely takes the cake here.
1: You know, you brought up the point about Grease being – a movie that all generations can like. Went and saw this movie at the drive-in. Didn't really, wasn't mesmerized by it, but went to drive-in, Watertown. And it was a very wide age range. Uh, you had people, kids, you had older people that seemed to like the movie. I have to give the edge. It, well, in this before,
0: before you give your answer, did you get stranded at the drive-in?
1: I, I, I did not. I still on my way back home.
0: What did they say Monday at school?
2: Monday at school? What?
1: <laughs>
2: it gets it,
0: you don't.
1: <laughs> I don't get it. but
2: Go back and watch.
1: I'll have to go back and watch. But I have to give the point to Sir Wright because of the iconic. I'm, a, I'm a all about the iconic place in history. And I just think that Greece as a – I mean, NBC had a Greece – a live-action comedy um, last year. Uh, it's that's just more iconic. Than is. So that's that's the reason why I'm giving this to you,
2: Sir Rupp. So you don't go over tonight.
0: Choice. Bennett's not happy with either one of us right now. I think We're I'm
2: people. the only one that's going over tonight. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Bennett, you won't lose the next point because I believe you're introducing it. So I am. Ahead.
2: You guys actually picked a, a very – good person to mediate this one because this happens to be my favorite superhero and that is batman Batman.
1: but time out time out before you introduce this if i butcher this category like i butchered the marvel episode is this where you come through the the computer and punch me i
2: don't know if that's possible (laughs) I'll get something reached. (laughs) All right. So, we got Batman. Batman happens to be one of my all-time favorite movies, but we're not talking about Batman the movie. We're talking about the men that played Batman. And we're going to settle a little debate who was the best Batman. Is it Michael Keaton or is it Christian Bale? And I think rut i think you're up first tell me who is the best batman
0: well before i begin this discussion i do want to say you're welcome to mrs bennett uh mr bennett's wife who has been pushing for us to do grease versus dirty dancing for a while now um weeks yeah so we finally got that done also being pushed for a while now is Mr. Elrod wanting to argue this exact topic of who is the best Batman. And now he gets his wish. But by the time this is over, he's going to wish we'd have held off a little longer. Because here's the thing. Bennett, can you tell me what Insider, Esquire, and USA Today all have in common?
2: They... They all think George Clooney's the best. They all
0: have George Clooney on a list. But at the top of (laughs) all of those lists, they agree with me that the best Batman is Michael Keaton. Here's the thing 1989, Michael Keaton is cast to play Batman. People are pissed fans of Batman are not happy that Michael Keaton has been cast in this role because here's the thing. Michael Keaton up until that point had done a lot of comedy roles. He wasn't really considered a serious actor and the Batman franchise up at that point, comic book fans had hated it because it had become very much uh, like the Adam West series, very hokey, very punchy, very, kind of happy-go-lucky that's not who Batman was in the comic books he was this dark serious yeah he was a rich guy but he was a serious character there was a darkness to it and when it was announced that Michael Keaton was going to play Batman they just threw their hands up they were almost done with Batman movies to begin with now they were just over it and then Batman comes out in 1989 and Michael Keaton single-handedly saved the Batman films, Enterprise. This was never given a shot, and Michael Keaton did what nobody really thought he could do. They didn't think he was fit for this role. He turned that entire franchise around. And then they brought him back for Batman Returns, and it was an even better movie. Uh, he had great heels to play off of, villains. Excuse me, i got to stop with my wrestling terms. He had great villains to play off of. They were great movies. He put it on the map. He made it possible for somebody like a Val Kilmer to have somebody come out and watch those movies. Michael Keaton made it possible for people to go watch a Batman movie starring George Clooney. Michael Keaton set the stage for what it was to be. Without Michael Keaton, there wouldn't be any more Batman movies for Christian Bale to have even played in. Um, Superhero movies weren't a thing that were taken with any kind of seriousness, any kind of money-making ability until Michael Keaton killed it with Batman. Now, the first Batman got a seventy-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes with an eighty-four fan score. Batman Returns got was certified fresh with an eighty critic score and a seventy-three fan score. Now, maybe you might think I'm crazy bringing up the Rotten Tomatoes numbers and the critic numbers when we look at the movies Christian Bale was in. Uh, you know, because The Dark Knight is pretty much well-acclaimed as the best Batman movie that's ever been made. And you know what? I would kind of agree with that. But that doesn't make Christian Bale the best Batman. You got to chop that up to more of Christopher Nolan and the story and the direction and the effects. But the best actual Batman, the man that saved the franchise is and was Michael Keaton. Hmm.
2: Mm-mm. All right, Elrod. Who is the best Batman? George Clooney. There it is. That's, <laughs> That's a, Bennett point. I'm just, a Bennett
1: point. There we go. Hey, we all know the best villain of all the Batman movies is Poison Ivy. We all know that. We all know that. <laughs> Right brought up a point a minute ago about how Michael Keaton's Batman saved the Batman franchise, and how he was the best actor from that movie. He wasn't even the best actor in the movie. Jack Nicholson's Joker saved the Batman franchise. If you want to get down to it.
0: Oh ho! Oh, I'm going to interrupt your point here.
1: I know you're you're going to he bring up all Joker. The
0: Joker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey that, hey! I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Give me time. Time, but that's what saved the Batman franchise. It was Jack Nicholson. Well, let's talk about Christian Bale for a minute, and he said, I mean, it is true that Michael Keaton's um, uh, penciling in as the ba- Batman was not very popular. Well, Christian Bale's cast as the Batman from Batman Begins was not very popular either. You got to understand that Ba- the last Batman movie that came out before Batman Begins was Batman and Robin. And that basically destroyed the franchise that, that forced this reboot. Joel Schumacher was nowhere to be found again. So Christopher Nolan um, cast Christian Bale. Before this, he was not a major star um, when he, before he landed the role. But after Batman Begins, he solidified himself as the quintessential Batman. And it's not even close. His Batman was so different from what we've seen before. It was not the goofy George Clooney. It was not the semi-serious Val Kilmer. It it was different from Keaton's portrayal of Batman. It was more rigid. It was more had more layers to it. You know, in Batman McGinn's, um, the um, the corrupt detective floss that he had. He had him, and he, was, he had him over a rail. And he says, swear to me, it was different from any Batman portrayal we've ever seen before. It, like I said, it was different from Clooney. It was different from Kilmer. I want to show you, Bennett, this right here gives me the victory. I want to take you back to the second film, The Dark Knight. I want to take you to three different scenes that show Christian Bell's ability to play a different kind of role. As one, you know the, the scene where he's at the dinner. You have Rachel. You have Harvey Dent. You've got the playboy. You got the playboy. He's mingling with the crowd. Then you see a scene of him on the balcony. You've got you've got Bruce, and he's he's crying to Rachel, basically saying. He, there needs to be a day where the Batman doesn't exist so he can be with her. And then after that scene passes, he's going to investigate. He's a det- he's basically playing the original role of Batman, the detective. He's playing all three of these different, basically, characters as one. That is Batman. Batman is a detective. He is Bruce Wayne. He's all these characters. You don't get that with the Michael Keaton character. And he plays these roles seamlessly. I mean, they're so different from one another. It almost seems like they're completely different characters. But Christian Bale has a wide range as Batman. Now, let's talk about the numbers here. Let's look at the Rotten Tomato numbers for the three Batman movies. And then we're not talking about the Batman movies as a whole. But 84% for Batman Begins, 94% for the Dark Knight, eighty-seven for Dark Knight Rises. Numbers don't lie, and the money doesn't lie either. These films grossed nearly one point two billion dollars, and it is the it is the no disrespect to Michael Keaton's two roles. You didn't mention this, but Michael Keaton was supposed to be in Batman Forever. He turned it down. Or Val Kilmer. Now, that was supposed to be a trilogy, but he refused to be in the role. Christian Bale's Batman is more iconic, made a lot more money, has more of a range in terms of the character. It's more honest to the comic book about him being a detective, more so than Keaton's character is. That, my friend, is the reason why Christian Bale. And here's another thing, too. Well, let's talk about the Justice League, the new Justice League. There was a story that came out that said they wanted Christian Bell's Batman to be the Batman for the New Justice League. They wanted a realistic portrayal of Batman. The Warner Brothers apparently offered Christian Bell $30 million to be in the movie for no more than 20 minutes. So they could have the Batman based on on his character. He turned it down. He turned $30 million down for 20 minutes, and he said that, that his Batman is completed. He's handing the torch to somebody else. So that, my friend, is a reason why Christian Bale's Batman is better than a Keaton Petrapp.
0: That shows that Christian Bale's an idiot, and that Michael <laughs> Keaton should win.
2: I really wish y'all two would have picked two different men because these are like 1A and 1B for the uh, people that have played batman on the one hand you've got michael keaton who played batman twice you know he's one that started it all then you've got christian bale who did batman from 05 to 2012 and they are completely different batman characters uh i do tend to agree with elrod that the christian bale character is more true to the comic book, and he's got more of intensity. And uh, But the voice kills me. I can't do the voice. I didn't picture Batman's voice to be like that, but it's not a game changer. It's not a big deal. I I don't necessarily agree with it being a more iconic Batman, per se. And the kicker I have, too, is how much of those – movies, and the money that was garnered in was from the production, the direction, and all that good stuff. Uh, and also, too, you've got the Joker in the Dark Knight trilogy who played a huge role. And sometimes, too, I think he's the one that, you know, is, gets more of the attention sometimes than Batman. Which could be said, too, about the original Batman with Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton, though, that Batman from 89, like, changed my life. I still remember being, like, we touched this before, too. I remember being a kid and seeing this come on. Like, I can still remember sitting there watching on the old TVs. It has, like, the little, the little doll beside the screen there, old school watching this Batman, it just blew my mind. And one thing I think I do tend to believe, I believe, I tend to believe with Rudd I'll start with him on this, that I think without Michael Keaton, we may not have the version of Batman that we got in the Dark Knight trilogy. We may have had something that come along the way, but I feel like this one paved the way so this is extremely, extremely close. Both of them have stuff I like about both of them. But if I had to pick a 1A and a 1B, 1A would be Michael Keaton. So you convinced me. That's Fake news. <laughs> but it is it's so close. I wish one of y'all would have picked. George Clooney, so this wouldn't have been so hard. I knew
1: I should pick Val Kilmer.
2: I, I really like Val Kilmer. So, <laughs> I, so I like really, Val
0: really Batman. With
2: with that's Michael good. Keaton not doing the third one, that let us get Kilmer. So that's actually kind of I kinda of appreciate him for that. I love Val Kilmer.
0: I, I like Val Kilmer. I think he's the third best Batman, but I like Val Kilmer as Batman.
2: Exactly.
0: Um This is not the last reference to Batman series we're going to get in this show, Um, but it'll be a very small reference later on. Uh, But before we get into that right now, it's time for me to sit back and let Bennett and Elrod go at it again. Um, And we're about to take a look at an actor that all three of us uh, are huge fans of a guy that, that started out uh, on Saturday night live and went on to make some of the most quotable uh, movies from our childhood, Um, and really there are more, narrowing it down to the two that these are arguing uh, is difficult, Uh, but we're going to look at the best Adam Sandler movie. Bennett, hit me with yours.
2: For me, the best Adam Sandler movie is Big Daddy. Actually, no, it's not. Let's say I was not careful. <laughs> I would say Big Daddy. I personally like Big Daddy better. If I'm going off personal preference, I'm going Big Daddy. But the question is the best Adam Sandler movie, and that's why I'm going with Waterboy. And I will tell you why that Waterboy – it's the best Adam Sandler movie and not Big Daddy. And I don't even know what Elrod's going with, but it's it's not Waterboy or Big Daddy, so it doesn't matter. Those are the top two. Now, Waterboy hits theaters November sixth, nineteen ninety-eight. Little background without spoiling it for there may be the one percent population that hasn't seen the Waterboy, shame on you. We should spoil it for them anyway. If they haven't seen it by now, they're never going to go. do they've it. They've
0: had 20 years.
2: <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I can't do limitations it. limitations is over on this. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a spoiler. I'm not doing it. But basically, he dies. It's about. I
0: spoil it's, about
2: it. it's about a dude. Basically, it's about a dude. Okay, so I didn't spoil it. No, it's about this 31-year-old mama's boy who grows up on a farm in the bayou named Bobby Boucher. And he wants nothing more but to quench the thirst of these athletes with some fine H2O. And they basically treat him like trash. But there's a coach named Coach Klein. And he makes this bold call that allows Bobby to stand up for himself. And it transforms him from this meek and mild water boy into this hardest hitter that has ever roamed the gridiron. Some notable names are in this film. Adam Sandler, Henry Winkler, Kathy Bates, Rob Schneider, which, fun fact, this is Rob Schneider's first time in an Adam Sandler movie. First time. (laughs) And I'm going for a rut point here. It also has The Big Show. It's The Big Show. It has a few cameos too by some of these guys that I think some of y'all may have heard of. Hall of Fame quarterback Dan Fouts, Lynn Swan, Lee Corso, Dan Patrick, LT, Lawrence Taylor. He's a bad man. He's in the movie. You got sour Bill Cower. And you've got the man, Jimmy Johnson. Now the this driver? right here. Do what?
0: The NASCAR no. driver?
2: No, not the not the race car driver, the the one that won the Super Bowls, that guy. Gotcha. Now, and this is the reason why I go with Waterboy and not Big Daddy. This movie right here is Adam Sandler at his funniest. This right here is at the peak of his career. Right after this comes Big Daddy, but this I think is where he is at his absolute best as far as comedy, with him leading the way. He functioned as an actor, the producer, and a writer of this movie. It grossed $161.5 million in the US and opened at number one at the box office, with $39.4 million opening weekend, which was a record opening for November. Vulture ranked all of Adam Sandler's films back last year in 2019. And it has Happy Gilmore at number nine and Waterboy at number six. Waterboy also grossed more. Happy Gilmore is not even in the top ten of the most money made in the Adam Sandler movie. Waterboy was so huge and such a big deal that it was the highest it's, it is the highest grossing film in a sports comedy genre. It won a Blockbuster Entertainment Award and the MTV Movie Award. So, I kept it pretty short here. I'm not going to go into the whole movie. Everybody's watched it. We know it's great. And Mr. Elrod's fixed on come in here and talk about Happy Gilmore, but do not buy into the Happy Gilmore hype, because if you do. You're drinking the wrong water. <laughs> Choose the wo- 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 water boy. You can do it.
0: Well, tell her to wake up. All right, Elrod. Bennett has hit us with the water boy. Won't you make us happy?
1: Well, I'm going to try the rut spill here and say you don't get the water boy without Happy Gilmore. You don't don't get get, um, Christian Bale without Michael Keaton, and you don't get the Waterboy without the first big role, which was Happy Gilmore. This is an uphill battle, and I I acknowledge it out of the gate. I mean, when you think of – when a person thinks of Adam Sandler, they're probably going to think of Big Daddy or they're going to think of the Waterboy. But here's why. Here's why Happy Gilmore is better. And it's two words for you, right – Bob Barker. That is the reason why it is better. And I'm about to throw some Bob Barker stats at you as to why that is. If you've been under a rock for the last 30 years, or however long it's been, there is a scene where they're playing the Pebble Beach Pro-Am and Happy Gilmore, I guess I should go back to the beginning. For those who haven't seen Happy Gilmore, he is a wannabe hockey player that uh, can't make it in the pros. He decides, screw it. I'm going to do something else. His grandma's house is about to be foreclosed on. He hits a golf ball one day and he becomes a golf star because he can hit it 500 yards. He's basically Brooks Kapka before Brooks Kapka was uh, known to the world. But Let's go back to Bob Barker for a minute. There's a scene where his playing partner at the pro-am was Bob Barker, the his actual real person Bob Barker, not someone playing Bob Barker. And Bob Barker, for for better or for worse, kicked the ever living crap out of Happy Gilmore because he was talking too much trash to his playing partner. Now this fight between Happy Gilmore. And Bob Barker is iconic. It won an MTV Movie Award for Best Fight Scene in uh, 1996. And another thing that Happy Gilmore did for the Price is Right show, Price is Right was having a lot of trouble in the mid-90s with the younger crowd. After Happy Gilmore, the Price is Right ratings went through the roof in mostly it was younger people watching the show because they wanted to see the guy that beat the crap out of Adam Sandler. Happy Gilmore saved The prices Right. That is the, my argument tonight, because it did. The numbers back it up. Let's talk about another person in this movie that has lasting effect. Let's talk about one of the most underrated villains of all time, and that, my friend, is Shooter McGavin. Played by the great Christopher McDonald. You know, here's the reason why he's underrated. He tries to buy Happy Gilmore's grandmother's house out from underneath her. And he said that he was just going to burn it down. Because that's the type of person he is. That's the type of person Shooter is. He tries to get Happy Gilmore killed on the golf course by a crazed fan who he promised he would take out to Red Lobster afterwards. Christopher McDonald declined the role of Shooter McGavin twice because he was tired of playing the bad guy. He wanted to play a good guy in the movie. He he felt like he had been bad too many times. The person that he wanted to play Shooter McGavin, wait for it, Kevin Costner. Can you imagine? Okay, Kevin Costner during this time was also filming Tin Cup. So he really didn't want to play in two golf movies in one year. So that is a reason. It would have been really odd. I, I don't see Kevin Costner playing a villain as well as Christopher McDonald. Another person in this movie, our favorite guy, Vern Lundquist. Vern Lundquist, report in the tower. In 2016, Vern Lundquist said that he still gets a massive check from the Happy Gilmore uh, movie uh, to the tune of thirty four dollars a year for his appearance in Happy Gilmore. Well, let's talk about the Happy Gilmore swing. How many times have you seen people on the golf course on a Saturday morning wanting to try the Happy Gilmore swing? Mm-hmm. You have. Have you been? Have you tried right. the Happy Gilmore swing before? Really? Well, it, it doesn't make any sense. It it is it, it defies anything. It, any golf instruction I have ever got, which is not a lot, by the way. The TV series sports science wanted to see if the Happy Gilmore swing actually increased distance. And what they found is it does. It actually does. Um, It generates additional club speed and also generates additional distance on a drive. Finally, finally, I'll leave you with this. We know about Chubs. Fortunately, lost his hand to that mean alligator that they later killed. <laughs> and that cost him Chubbs his life because he was so – I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm not going to spoil it for you. But in my research for this, Carl Weathers was in the movie Predator. I've, it's been a long time since I watched Predator. It was actually paying homage to Carl Weathers' character in Predator, where he lost his arm in that movie, too. That's the reason uh, Adam Sandler was a writer for this movie, and he wanted to throw all these inside jokes into the movie. So he wanted to pay homage to that Predator movie with him losing his arm. So that's the reason why he lost it in this movie. How many times, Rod, have you been to a miniature golf course and you see a clown? And he, tra- he or a clown or a windmill, and you're trying to put that ball, and that windmill just kicks the ball out. And you want to go and take that golf club, and you want to just whack it. Well, Happy Gilmore gives us the inspiration to whack that windmill, to whack that clown. Happy Gilmore save the prices right, and this was before Tiger Woods. He could have saved the game of golf too, because this is before Tiger Woods. Happy Gilmore saved the game of golf and made it cool, especially for that younger crowd. Adam Sandler is really popular with the younger crowd around around this time. So I'll make this argument. If it wasn't for Happy Gilmore, do we get Tiger Woods? I don't think we do. I don't think we do. So that's the reason why the best Adam Sandler movie of all time is Happy Gilmore.
0: You're going to die, clown. All right. Um, Let me just say, Mr. Elrod, I'm shocked. I am absolutely shocked at the little amount. I thought you weren't going to touch on Chubbs at all. But Chubbs, played by the great Carl Weathers, Also played Apollo Creed. And as much as you pound Rocky into the sand over and over and over again on our Sylvester Stallone episode, not even one reference to it? He didn't lose an arm in Rocky. He just got his head knocked off. (laughs) He lost his life, just like in this movie.
1: But the homage was for Predator because he lost his arm in Predator. That was the reason why.
0: I think it was a Russian alligator.
1: A Russian alligator. Probably. It must eat
0: you. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Um, Here's the thing. If we look at my personal favorite Adam Sandler movies, number one is Billy Madison, Mm. which neither one of you covered. Personally, I think it's the funniest one he's got. I quote Billy Madison more than any of his other movies. Uh, Number two, Big Daddy. Again, you guys didn't cover that one either number three as far as my personal favorites goes is Happy Gilmore but much like the first argument you guys had my personal favorite and what i think is the better movie are two different things and when i look at Waterboy i look at the money it pulled in i look at the cast freaking the Fonz was in this movie with a tattoo of Roy Orbison on his rear end. And the fact that we have now discussed that in two episodes is (laughs) mind-blowing to me. Um, That movie was educational. I learned that um, snakes don't have parks. uh, But if they did, then the fawns ate a knee, which I thought was interesting. Um, Here's the thing. Happy Gilmore is my personal favorite of the two. Happy Gilmore definitely has the much better looking uh, female counterpart here. Um, but when you look at the cast, you look at the money brought in, you look at the acting job done by Adam Sandler, the best movie of these two, I don't even think it's close. It's Waterboy. mm
2: That's
0: the second argument you two have had where I've had to go against my personal favorite uh, to pick which one I thought was better. Um, But luckily for me, I don't have to make that choice anymore because I'm done mediating for the night. Um, But who's not done mediating is Mr. Elrod who will mediate our next topic.
1: This next topic really is going to tug at my heart and it's going to be really tough for me. The two people, the two comedians that I that put movies out in the 90s that I like the most, Jim Carrey and Robin Williams, and it's not even close. These two people were powerhouses in the 90s. Everything they touched was golden during this time period. So that begs the question: who had better 90s movies? Was it Jim Carrey or was it the great and late Robin Williams. So I believe, Sir Rutt, you have Canada's favorite Jim Carrey. So tell me about his 90s movies.
0: Is he really their favorite? Does anybody like him anymore? He's a crazy, crazy man.
1: He is very crazy. But he Still was very crazy, funny.
0: crazy good and hilarious in the 90s. And here's the thing. This topic, I mean, absolutely zero Zero disrespect to Robin Williams because I love Robin Williams. And here's the thing. If we're talking who is the best of these two in the 70s, when Robin Williams first started on Mork and Mindy, no doubt it's Robin Williams. If we talk about the best of the 80s, no doubt Robin Williams. If we want to talk about the best of the 2000s, it's no doubt Robin Williams. But we're specifically talking about the 90s. And in the 90s, there was a show that was called In Living Color that is one of my favorite sketch comedy shows of all time with a mostly black African-American cast. And most of those shows, you see white guys and you've got your token black guy. In Living Color had a token white guy. And that token white guy was Jim Carrey. And that is what opened the door for some of the most iconic movies of the 90s uh, when it comes to the comedy genre that we've ever seen. First movie he ever did, something called Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Funny side note, that really has nothing to do with the argument. Do you know who is the selling point and the biggest star going into that movie? And Marino. No. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Jim Carrey because he had only been on In Living Color, had never been in a movie. It wasn't Courtney Cox because Friends was just about to go on the air. Scream hadn't come out. Nobody knew who Courtney Cox was. The biggest star going into Ace Ventura Pet Detective was Tone Loke. Who the had, monkey? who had,
1: what'd you say? Are you talking about, is there a monkey in it? It's been a long time since I've watched Ace Ventura. Who did you say? Honolok. Loke. It's been a long time.
0: Funky Cole. It's been a Medina. long time. Funky Cole Medina. Oh. He had an established music career and coming in to Ace Ventura was the biggest star of this movie going in. Coming out, different story. Um, a lot of people don't know who Tone Loke is anymore, uh, but everybody knows uh, who Jim Carrey is. Uh, people know who Courtney Cox is now, but I think that's more for probably friends and Scream. Uh, but she was great in Ace Ventura. Well, he goes from Ace Ventura to doing a movie called The Mask, which according to the story, according to the plot of the movie, should have been an awful movie. But with Jim Carrey playing this role, it was a certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with 77%. This is Cameron Diaz's breakout movie. And good grief was she hot in that movie. Um, then he puts out something that a few people have heard of, Dumb and Dumber, was yeah. his third movie um, with Jeff Daniels. He got an 84 audience score. Um That was just the third movie he ever put out. His first three movies he ever starred in, Ace Ventura, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber. And that got him a role in what was sure to be his breakout in the movie Batman Forever as the Riddler. Probably his, some would argue his worst, maybe his second worst movie of the 90s. But that's still a huge movie because a lot of people didn't realize that movie sucks until they had already paid to go see it. <laughs> so he still made. It's still a huge movie. He followed that up with the second Ace Ventura, which by all critical standpoints was nowhere close to the first one. Still a highly quotable movie. Uh, then he put out what was another me movie with the cable guy, with Matthew Broderick. Um, that was supposed to be Matthew Broderick's You know, first big thing since Ferris Bueller. Um, It never touched Ferris Bueller. Um, But then he bounced back and put out a movie that inspired multiple people to become an attorney. And that movie is my favorite Jim Carrey movie, Liar Liar. 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. Followed that up with a funny but serious movie in The Truman Show that was uh, got a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. And then he finished the nineties uh, with a movie called Man in the Moon, where he played Andy Kaufman, which Mr. Bennett will probably remember uh, an awkward moment in the movie theater when we went to see that movie uh, in 1999.
2: Yeah. Let's not talk about that.
0: <laughs> um, but that that's his list of movies for the nineties, you have heard of every single one of those movies. Uh, At least three fourths of those movies were iconic. Another, like we said, Adam Sandler movies were highly quotable. These movies are highly quotable uh, in our everyday life. And here's the thing, really Batman forever cable guy. Okay. You can say they're not good movies, but most of us saw. You know why we saw them? Because of these other movies Jim Carrey were in. Again, I mean, no disrespect to Robin Williams. He did fantastic things. Bennett's probably about to slap me in the face with Mrs. Doubtfire, and that may be the best movie out of this whole set. But here's the thing. Probably, maybe not, maybe. But here's the thing. I just listed you the movies of of Jim Carrey in the 90s. Some of Robin Williams' worst movies in his entire career all came in the 90s. Hook was not a good movie. Toys was an awful movie. Flubber is an awful movie.
1: No, it's not. No it's not. It is. no,
0: it's not. Bicentennial Man was a terrible
1: movie. Oh, no. No, 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 no. no.
0: Bicentennial Man should have been great. If that movie had ended an hour and a half before it did, it would have been a great movie. It drags on and on and on. Robin Williams, he had some fantastic stuff in the 90s. He had some stuff that was not that good. But this was Jim Carrey's breakout decade. He wasn't a crazy man He didn't go absolutely insane until the 2000s. He didn't put out stupid movies that made no sense until the 2000s. For purely looking at the 90s, there was nobody funnier, there was nobody hotter in the decade than one Jim Carrey. All right, care to transition? Well, I'm just shocked.
1: I'm I'm flabbergasted, I'm flubbered right now that you have crapped on two of my favorite movies. And I should go ahead and give it to Bennett, but
0: you, haven't, wanna... you have proven time and time again on the show you've never seen good movies. <laughs> if you had seen half of these good movies that we talk about, that you say, Well, I never saw that, then you would realize these are not good movies.
1: Bennett, tell me why I should give you the point right now. Tell me about Robin Williams' movies in the 90s.
2: Well, luckily, I got a few good movies to there talk we go. about. Now, by my calculation, Robin Williams had 29 movies from 1990 to 1999. And of those 29 films, he reached and garnered success in a wide range of genres. Some of the ones that I'm going to cover tonight include drama, Fantasy, animation voiceover, comedy drama, fantasy adventure, sci fi comedy, and semi biography comedy drama. Now, I'm going to do this quickly, but I'm going to run through. I've got nine movies of significance to me during the 90s. We'll start with 1990 with Awakenings, which was a drama. It brought in 52.1 million at the box office, which also starred Robert De Niro. It got an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. And he gets a lot of credit for it being some of Robin Williams' finest non-comedic work. And he was a Golden Globe nominee for this. Let's skip ahead to 91 with Hook. It's a fantasy movie. With, he was Peter Pan. It may not have been a great movie, but it still got $300 million worldwide was the sixth highest grossing film of 91, and it was nominated for five Academy Awards. So not too bad. 92, Fern Gully. Some of y'all may not have heard about Fern Gully. It's a Disney animated movie. He was the voice of Batty Coda, which is this like deranged crazy fruit bat. It made $32.7 million. And this is a very underappreciated movie. And the reason I say that is because Robin Williams had a heck of a lot of freedom with the scripts for his character. He did a ton of ad lib. And uh, one instances of that was they told him just to kind of do, oh, just kind of do some like cliche military charge. And then Robin Williams just goes on for 10 minutes solid doing this ad-lib about a military charge. It just shows how brilliant he was. The very same year that he does Fern Gully, he does a little movie called Aladdin, mm-hmm. where he plays the genie and he's also the peddler, which there is a little bit of a conspiracy behind that, but I won't get into that right now. Hope everybody's sitting down. This movie made $504 million, half a billion dollars, on this movie. It was definitely the highest grossing movie of 92. And again, like Ferngully, most of his lines in this are either unscripted or just him ad-libbing in. It's absolutely crazy. He won a uh, Special Achievement Award at the Academy Awards, and he won an MTV Movie Award for Best Comedic Performance in Aladdin. Very next year, 1993, Mrs. Doubtfire, such a great movie. It was It's a comedy drama. He plays two characters. He plays Danny and Mrs. Doubtfire. He also co-produced this. It made $441 million and was a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's the second highest grossing film of 93. And he won a Golden Globe for Best Actor, and it's ranked 40th on Bravo's funniest movies of all time. 95, you've got Jumanji. Mm. It's a fantasy adventure. He's Alan Parrish, $262 million, and that's the 10th highest grossing of 95. 1997, we get Flubber. Mm-hmm. Sci-fi comedy, either you love it or you hate it. He plays Professor Philip Brainard. $178 million. and I want to talk a little bit about Flubber because in 1997, Flubber was also advertised a lot, and it got pushed a lot, and this is a little bit off course, but Sonic had a Flubber Sunday that they did, <laughs> and it was basically a Sunday with like this green ooze on top of it, And I remember getting these. I would walk over from the paper, over to Sonic, order one of these, and it was the best thing I've ever had. And I cannot find any information about these. So anybody that's listening or watching, if you have any information about this Flubber Sunday, I know I didn't make this up in my mind. Please get in touch with us. Please. I need some more information about this. But also, in that same year, 1997, he does a little movie called Good Will Hunting,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is a drama. It gets $225 million at the box office, a quarter of a billion. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 97%, and it's nominated for nine Academy Awards. At the Academy Awards, Robin Williams won Best Supporting Actor, and it's number 53 in The Hollywood Reporter's 100 Favorite Films. And to put that in perspective, they gave Forrest Gump number 14, which to me should be number one. So they give it 14. So if they give this 53, that should be more like 20 because their numbers are a little bit skewed, according to my calculation. Then the very last one, I'm not going to cover a Bicentennial, man, but in 1998, he does Patch Adams, which is – like a semi-biography slash comedy slash drama. It's a little bit of everything into one. It's loosely based off of the life of the real Dr. Patch Adams. It gets $202 at the box office. And he's a Golden Globe nominee for Best Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. That's a great movie. It's got everything in it. So when you look at all these, no doubt Robin Williams is one of the all-time greats as evidenced by these 90s movies, some of these characters and some of these voices that he did will forever be etched in cinematic history. When it comes to Robin Williams, nobody could improv better, especially during these uh, like Fern Gully and Aladdin that he played. And even though when you think of Robin Williams, you know, you you think of his comedy, but it's his ability to deliver in films that are a little bit more serious, that have a little bit more substance to them than just silliness. And it is his ability to play in these dramatic movies, like Awakening, *Goodwill Hunting, Patch Adams, stuff like that. I think that gives him a slight edge. It shows some versatility other than just Robin Williams being silly that we know he is. But talking about being silly, he's not just a funny man, or was a funny man. He was also very brilliant. Now I'll leave you with this quote. Robin Williams' mind was a quantum computer. He was the fastest gun in the West. I loved, respected, and admired his brilliance always. And that was a quote by none other than Mr. Jim Carrey. Mm. Ooh. And I think we all three can agree with Mr. Jim Carrey on this.
1: Mm.
2: He's a very funny and brilliant man.
1: Mm, you know right yeah. i want to tell you this i about went off on you because i thought that you failed to mention a movie but it was my fault i thought that you had not mentioned the majestic but that came in 2001 that's not a 90s movie so i was ready to I
0: didn't mention the grinch either because it came out in two thousand.
1: <laughs> this is the, okay of all the things i've had to mediate since we've been doing this show since March or April, whenever it was, this is the toughest one I've judged. Because I've always thought that probably Jim Carrey had the deeper bench of of movies. And even the the list of movies we have here for the 90s, two of those movies are in my top 10 of all time. Liar, Liar, Dumb and Dumber. I would venture to say that Jim Carrey had the better... If you look 90 to 95, Jim Carrey won those years with his movies. If you look in the later decade, I think that the serious movies that Robin Williams had, the Pat, Patch Adams is in my top 10. And also Goodwill Hunting, if it's not two, it's three or four, somewhere in there, my favorite movies of all time. This is a reason I'm giving it to Robin Williams here. The Academy Award, The Good Bull Hunt, Patch Adams, the work he did on Aladdin, that he was that movie. Even though he wasn't the main character, he was Aladdin. We all know this. Even though though Hook, not that great of a movie. Flubber, no, I, I joke, it's not a great movie. But his serious work that he did... Patch Adams is a fantastic movie. Good Will Hunting is one of the 20 best movies of all time. I got to go Robin Williams. The, the one, the only Robin Williams over as bad as I hate to say it. Jim Carrey's great, and his work in the 90s speaks for itself. But I'm giving it to Robin Williams by a nose. It's very tough. It's very tough.
2: You made a good Sorry. choice. Hmm. All right, right, guys, so...
1: You started at 0 and 2 you're coming back.
2: I know, I know. I think, I think that's the best I can do, though, because we have reached our final topic, and I'm not debating. And our final topic is a big one. Best movie trilogy. In order to be considered among the best movie trilogies, you guys need to bring it with three solid films. And I'm interested to hear these arguments because me and Elrod was talking about this earlier before we recorded, but we left off some big powerhouses off this list. Maybe we can cover these another time. But without further ado, let's get into the best movie trilogy. Elrod, what it is. What's the best movie trilogy?
1: When you look at best movie trilogies, And if you look at what the critics say and what the people say, it's really 1A and 1B on Best Movie Trilogy. You've got the older people out there that will swear that The Godfather is the Best Trilogy of all time. You look at the reviews, if you look at what the critics say. But it's not. It's not. The Best Movie Trilogy of all time is the Lord of the Rings Trilogy from 2001 to three. The Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, and The Return of the King. And here's why. Before I get into that, for those who haven't listened to our podcast before, a lot of people said in our show that we had Beatles versus the Eagles, that this was an uphill battle that I was fighting here, that I was crazy, that I was a lunatic for even putting the idea out that the, that the Eagles were better than the Beatles. I would argue that what Rudd is trying to do tonight is about 10 times as more difficult as when I had to pull off that night. I love Marty McFly. I love Doc. I love, love the DeLorean. It does not even belong in the same stratosphere as Lord of the Rings. And here's why, Sir Bennett. Look at the cast from those three movies Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, Liv Tyler, Big Ol Mortensen, Rudy himself, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, Christopher Lee, Orlando Bloom. It goes on and on and on. Let's talk about the movies. At the time, the most expensive movie project of all time. They shot these movies at the same time and released them stagnated over three years. It cost $281 million to make these movies, and it was worth every penny. Let's look at what the people say about the series as a whole. The Lord of the Rings series is widely regarded as the greatest and most influential movie series ever made. It was a big investment, $281 million, but I think it's paid off for. Because of the three films, have made just shy of $3 billion, with a B, dollars. And the it's, it's success of these movies has spawned another trilogy um, just a few years ago. Let's talk about the Academy Awards. You need a Penske truck to put all of the awards that these series have garnered. Over 30 Academy Award nominations for this series with 17 wins. Let's look at what the fans say about the movies. It's hard to get on a trilogy. It's hard to outdo yourself. But that's what this series does. The Fellowship of the Ring has a 91% of Rotten Tomatoes. The Two Towers, which probably is my least favorite personally of it all, but 95% Rotten Tomatoes score. Now, the one that has garnered the most praise, its Rotten Tomatoes score is a little bit less than the Two Towers, but the Academy Awards at the Return of the King won will probably never be duplicated in the modern age from this point forward. Let's talk about that. The Los Angeles Times says that this trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, will never find an equal from here, from here forward with the way the movies are made. Variety says that The Lord of the Rings is the most ambitious dream project of all time. Peter Jackson. A lot of people said that this was going to doom the studio, Peter Jackson's ideas. He wanted all these hundreds of millions of dollars to put this project together. He wanted to pay all these actors. And it was kind of a weird concept, like a middle age set in the middle of earth. Yeah, I don't know. But Peter Jackson absolutely delivered with this. Movie. Let's talk about the characters here. Empire put together one the 100 greatest movie characters of all time. They considered every movie ever made. This series has six of the top 100. You've got Gandalf, Aragorn, Bilbo Baggins, uh, The Hobbit. uh, That's really more geared toward the other trilogy. Samwise and um, Orlando Bloom's Legolas. I could spend all night talking about this this series, just about the awards that this series has won. But let's talk about The Return of the King. The Return of the King, the third movie, is regarded as the greatest and most influential movie ever made. And it's because of the awards it won. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, Best Makeup, Best Original Score Song, best sound mixing, and best visual effects. It swept every award that it was nominated for that night. I love Back to the Future. We just watched it the other night. The first Back to the Future is one of my favorite movies. It has 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. But the next two movies were subpar, especially the second movie. The second Back to the Future movie is horrible. 65% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's a horrible movie. Third movie is a redemption movie. I love the Old West uh, thing that the third one has, and so does the the people. 80% of people like the third one. But the second Back to the Future movie is freaking horrible. And this is not just me saying it. Look at what the critics and the people are saying.
0: Yes, let's.
1: $975 million it made. It made a lot of money. But the Lord of the Rings franchise made three over three times as much money as Back to the Future franchise. If you look at the the amount of awards it won, if you look at what the critics say, what the people say, these are great movies. They're very long. If you went and saw them in theaters, it has an intermission. Every movie is over three hours long, but it's totally worth it. And it has spawned a brand new trilogy, and it's also spawned a Netflix series that is set to be on there in a couple of years. I'm really excited about that. So not even a contest.
2: Ooh we Mr. Rutt, bring us home. Best movie trilogy.
0: Here's the thing, you could say, you could put a lot of movies in this category. Uh, a lot of people would say the Godfather series, and that'd be hard to dispute other than the fact that the third Godfather kind of sucked. Um, that's pretty universally, (laughs) no. 20 years ago, you could have put Star Wars in this, but now it's become a trilogy of trilogies. And you know, I think it kind of falls out of that category. Lord of the Rings is a fantastic trilogy. Do not get me wrong. But I'm gonna go with the unconventional answer. I'm gonna go out on a limb And I'm going to say what some people may think is a crazy answer. But from top to bottom, from beginning to end, the best movie trilogy of all time is Back to the Future. And Mr. Elrod brings up some fantastic points in his argument. He brings up the Empire article of the top 100 characters of all time. And yes, there are six characters from the Lord of the Rings in it. Look at the size of that cast to the size of Back to the Future. What he failed to mention was the fact that Back to the Future has two members on that list in the top 20. The top character of all the Lord of the Rings and Back to the Future is Michael J. Fox's character of Marty McFly at number 12 on that list of every movie character in history, Marty McFly is number 12. Aragorn's number 15, and then third on the list is Doc Brown at number 20. As far as the top 20 on that list, Back to the Future wins two to one. So if you wanna look at that list, we can look at that list. You can Mm. say that people, oh, the second Back to the Future movie was awful. It's got an audience score of 85. You said the people hated it. Only 50% of the people hated it.
1: It was a definite decline.
0: It was a definite decline, and you want to know why it was a decline? Because the first Back to the Future movie was so iconic. you want to bring up Rotten Tomatoes numbers? Here are the critic scores for the three Lord of the Rings movies. I'll reiterate them. Elrod's already said them. 91, 95, 93. The original Back to the Future movie, 96. What well, is that the second one? What do
1: what, what the critics think about the second one?
0: The second one's not as high, but the audience still thought it was pretty dang good. Uh, as far as critics go, the first Back to the Future movie of these six movies we're discussing is the best movie of the six. Um, here's another thing. He wants to talk about this great cast in Lord of the Rings, and there was a great cast. But what else have they really done? I mean, they've done a few movies here or there, but is there any bigger star on the cast of Lord of the Rings than Michael J. Fox?
1: You think Kate Blanchett's done
0: anything? She's done quite a bit. You're telling me Kate Blanchett is a bigger star than Michael J. Fox? No, I'm not saying that. But you said, "What have they
1: done?" I mean, Kate Blanchett. Not... I mean, they've
0: done some things, but none of them are on a Michael J. Fox level. Here's the thing. Back to the Future is a definitive franchise of an entire decade. Back to the Future is probably the biggest thing to come out of the 80s. It took Michael J. Fox from a really beloved TV character to one of the biggest movie stars of all time. And if it had not been for Parkinson's disease, Who knows where his career would have went? Here's another thing. I don't mean to dog on Lord of the Rings, but there's two points here that's going to dog on Lord of the Rings. (laughs) First of all, Lord of the Rings, they put up big box office numbers. They really did. And that series was highly anticipated. Do you know why? Because it already had a following. Tolkien's books that these movies are made off of were already huge bestsellers. It already had a following. There was no book to Back to the Future. That first Back to the Future movie is what drew people to come in to see the other Back to the Future movies because it was so dang good. People wanted to go see Lord of the Rings because they loved the books. It it had a built-in audience already. Bennett, have you seen the movie? I'm pretty sure you have. It's probably been a while. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back.
2: I've I've seen it. It's been a while.
0: All right, have you seen the movie Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back? What do you think? I'm guessing you haven't. <laughs> but there's there's a scene. I'm gonna act this out a little bit. Oh God! There's a scene oh in the we haven't seen
1: it. Now he's acting.
0: Where Jason Mew's character Jay sums up the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. He said, here's the plot of the Lord of the Rings. Here's the first movie. (laughs) The second movie. (laughs) Here's the third movie. And that's the plot of the Lord of the Rings.
2: It's brilliant. (laughs) It's funny
0: when you look at the true storytelling in these movies you really want to sit through three hours here's the thing don't get me wrong lord of the rings is fantastic the first lord of the rings movie i almost fell asleep in and i loved the movie it was great it was too dang long succinct storytelling original storytelling no built-in audience, the Back to the Future franchise amassed nearly $1 billion at the box office on a $100 million budget for all three movies. And here's another thing, Lord of the Rings is essentially one nine hour movie, they split into three parts. You've got three connected, but really different storylines, a true trilogy, When you look at Back to the Future, and the last point I want to make, when you look at Lord of the Rings, there are people that love the books that love the movies. There are guys like us that didn't want to take three years to read J.R.R. Tolkien's work on some of these books, but they're cool action movies with cool effects. We like. Outside of those two groups of people, what kind of audience does Lord of the Rings reach? Back to the Future, however, has an audience of young people today. Especially when you look at my age group and a little older, they are some of our favorite movies. They're some of my favorite movies. We all wanted a DeLorean complete with a flux capacitor to go take us to whatever year we wanted to do to keep our mom from hitting on us or whatever it may be. We all wanted to be Marty McFly. And also, you wanna look at the character work? How many characters did Mar- did Michael J. Fox play in those three movies? About 20. Even more than that, the guy that played Biff Tannen played about 87 roles in those three movies and played them all masterfully. You want to look at what made more money? Sure, Lord of the Rings. If it's just on money, then yeah. But if you want to look at storytelling, you want to look at different stories that are connected but completely different, the true meaning of a trilogy. You want to look at fantastic acting. You want to look at one of the greatest movie characters of all time in Marty McFly. It may seem crazy to think, but when you really break it down to the elements, the greatest movie trilogy of all time is Back to the Future.
1: I want what he's smoking.
2: I kind of hand it to him. It's a very – Can I just say
1: rebuttal real quick? Rebuttal. Rebuttal says that – you know, he just said that in the, it's a, the movie of the 80s. Well, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is this is the trilogy of the 2000s century. It's a century-defining trilogy. It's the best trilogy of this century. You can't say that for Lord or for Back to the Future. The Godfather's best trilogy from the 20, 20th century.
2: I don't know. I'm just a little upset that neither one of y'all went with Airbud for best trilogy. <laughs> Come on, where's the love for the dog? All right, I don't know why y'all give me these hard ones. This ain't, this ain't fair. All right, I jotted down some notes. Both of y'all have some really good points. I'll start with the Lord of the Rings. Things that impressed me. All three were shot at the same time. That was impressive. The money they made, just shy of $3 billion the awards like you said the truckload of awards and the scores on Rotten Tomatoes and how the third movie like you said just kind of swept every category that it was nominated for but when you look at Back to the Future Rudd has some very interesting points where You said there's six in the top 100. Back to the Future has two in the top 20, which I thought that's dang impressive right there. You said there was six in the top 100. I was like, dang, man, that's awesome. And Rutt says two and 20. I'm like, oh, well, that goes that? You have how iconic the first one was, 96%, which is the highest of any of the six movies that you two guys covered. You looked at the casting. i got to give the casting the Back to the Future. You've got Michael J. Fox, Marty McFly. You've also got Christopher Lloyd, too. I think he does a dang good job in this, too.
0: You've got,
2: you got Christopher Lloyd. That is Al <laughs> in Angels in the Outfield. So, you basically got Al. In fact, how can you go against Al in Back to the Future? You, you don't go against Al. But not only is he – Al, he's also the uh, the bad guy, Dennis Domenes. He's the homeless I
0: dude. I forgot about that. Walking yeah. around. What you got there, sport? An uh, apple.
2: <laughs> Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. If you look at the storytelling. I don't know. I'm kind of leaning towards Back to the Future on just the storytelling.
1: Oh, my gosh. Are you really going to do this? I want to go get like Legolas the and get it
2: stored. I, here's why, because the plot in this, I feel like it kind of captures the imagination a little bit more than Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I like Lord of the Rings. It's very entertaining, but I don't think it captures your imagination more. I think it's more, it's laid out for you, and here's the story. I'm telling you the story. You watch this, Back to the Future. How I mean, You can't tell me that none of the three of us Have, like, dang, I wished I had a DeLorean. I'd go back in time. I'd tell myself in 2019, get ready for 2020. You know, buckle up. And you got to think about the DeLorean, too. That put that car into the icon status. It really did. Like, who doesn't want a freaking DeLorean sitting there in their driveway? Come on.
0: And a hoverboard.
2: Uh, I'd hurt myself for sure. But the one deciding factor in the two things of these two films, the one thing I was really looking for was how they all three hold up together. And me personally, since I am the mediator, I feel like one of these had a little bit – of a better planning and execution and all three of the movies deliver. And the one that delivers is basically a 10-hour masterpiece. It's Lord of the Rings.
1: I was getting worried there for a Lord minute. The Rings.
2: But think- there, is some, there is some points to be made about Back to the Future. Very valiant effort.
0: Okay, you. Your- I thought
2: I was going to, have to sit Gollum on you.
1: I really did. I, didn't, I, thought I was going to get Gollum back there to come get you.
2: I didn't think yeah. this was going to be Big even close, but here we are. I
0: have a question, though. The argument I presented on Back to the Future was a pretty good argument. Am I right?
2: Yeah, there's some there's some fair points, and I you took he believes Look.
0: none of it. Look at him; he believes none of it. Oh, I believe it. all. Of
2: I've got points for both of y'all on this.
0: (laughs) There's don't get me wrong. I I love you look at Lord of the Rings. Gimli is one of my favorite characters of all time. You didn't even mention Gimli.
1: I'd be we'd be here all night long if I talk about everything I like about the movie.
0: One of the main characters. You talk about Legolas, you're not gonna talk about Gimli? Mm. But nobody in any of these movies, touches Marty McFly. He invented rock and roll. If it was not for him, Chuck Berry would not have invented rock and roll because his cousin Marvin broke his hand at the Enchantment of the Sea dance and Marty McFly, who was going under the name Calvin Klein, who had just fought off the advances of his own mother, created rock and roll.
2: Lord of the Rings didn't do that
0: exactly,
2: but I've already got the win, so no matter. We'll
0: give you this. Lord of the Rings does have Liv Tyler. That's an argument I can't. I have no counter for. Nope. Did we each go two and two tonight? I think we did. We each went oh. two and two. That's boring. Nobody. That's <laughs> like kissing your sister. That's just awful.
2: All right, everybody. Everybody gets a trophy. All right. Ooh.
0: We did not plan this. No. I would have went four and zero. Elrod would have went zero and four, and Bennett would have come in at a modest two and two. That's what how I would have done.
2: it. That sounds about right.
0: <laughs> so, all right, guys. Well, we thank you all for tuning in uh, to the podcast, or maybe even the YouTube show, whichever you may be watching. Be sure to check us out every week. Uh, next week, not sure what we're uh, coming at you with, but it'll be something cool. And uh, pay attention to our socials to find out what it will be. And uh, sometime in the next few weeks, we'll let you guys vote again. Uh, we appreciate all your support. Be sure you're liking, you're subscribing, uh, you're leaving us five-star reviews. And um, head over to our anchor page, anchor.fm uh, slash convince me show. There's a listener support button. If you'd like to support us directly, that would be fantastic. We could make this show even better for you guys. Um, but the probably the – Best way and easiest way to support us uh, is just by continuing to listen to us, especially uh, on the podcast. Uh, Bennett, Elrod, any parting words?
1: Two and two. I did not have a losing record tonight. First time that has ever been the case on the show, other than the times I've beat you, right? But um, uh, two and two. Not so bad. Future's looking bright. Got to get shades because my future
0: is looking too bright right now. Too bright. I think he just lost another one for that.
2: (laughs) Well, thanks to you guys for voting on movies. This is going to be one of my favorites that we've done. We were able to get two Forrest Gump references in there. And I just want to say thank you guys for supporting us. Keep it up.
0: Absolutely. We had the time of our lives and we owe it all to you. We hope you'll be back. Catch us next week. Uh, Until then, peace.